0: Thank you for tuning in to the Tulsa Bible Church Sermons Podcast. You are listening to Pastor Jared Verweil as he continues his sermon series in Habakkuk. If you would like more information on this, you can visit our website at tulsabible.org. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do turn to Habakkuk. Chapter 1. And here's what we're gonna do is, um, you guys are getting settled in, and we are planning to finalize our vote today. If you are a member, uh, you have an opportunity for the church affirmation vote for Dustin Long as our family pastor. If you didn't receive a ballot, we'd like to do as much of this as possible as early as possible. So we've got guys in the back, uh, elders, deacons, passing out ballots. If you need a ballot, just please raise your hand. We're gonna get that to you right away. Also, if you have a ballot that you've already finished and you need to hand that in, uh, you can pass that to the end of your rows to Harold, uh, John is coming through, also probably Mark Shu, and Tom are available to you, so Mark up in the balcony there. So just take a few seconds, if you don't mind, and do that, uh, hopefully we'll have a count by the end of the service and be able to uh, let you know how it all turns out. And on Father's Day, it's, it's interesting what happens in churches. It's, it's kind of my obligation as a pastor on Mother's Day to be really encouraging and grateful and gracious and loving to the moms. And then Father's Day comes around. And my responsibility is basically to kick you all in the pants, step on your toes, uh, just tell you where you need to step it up a little bit more, and we'll call it good for the year. Uh, so this year, instead of doing that, we're just going to go um, to justice in Habakkuk. I want to I talk about a theme in Habakkuk that I haven't had much of a chance to talk about as much as I would have liked to during this sermon series. This is the last one we're doing in Habakkuk before we do a, another topical. We're going to do a, actually a new topical sermon series starting next Sunday. But I haven't had much chance to talk about justice, and so I wanted to do that. Um, some, several of you have asked me about this image on the sermon slide. Why and what does it have to do with the book of Habakkuk? And actually, this, this specific person or this statue is, is very familiar, not only in the United States of America here, but also across the world. This is Lady Justice. And this image has been done and made statues of in various different ways all across the world and several continents. You will find her different renditions, different applications, drawings, paintings, and statues. Uh, Mostly find them in courthouses, law offices, legal institutions, educational institutions that have to do with our justice system and issues of, of law. Lady Justice goes back in history to ancient Greece and Rome and even further back than that to ancient Egypt and Egyptian mythology, a Greek goddess famous as a personification of justice. She stands for justice, for law, and for order. In the Egyptian religion, it was Maat who often stood as a statue or a, an idol with a sword in one hand and a feather of truth in the other. That feather has made its way to a lot of our currency in the United States. Um, the Roman goddess, English is Justice uh, for her name, is the closest comparison to our understanding of this concept and, and this topic of justice. And it's really interesting because when you look at these statues and art renditions across the world, Lady Justice is almost depicted the exact same way no matter where you are, what language, or what culture you find yourself in. She's always dressed in a robe, Uh, A toga-like Roman robe has to do with the Roman legal system, the very foundations of our legal system that we have. If you go even further back than that, you go back to a Judeo-Christian understanding of our our legal system here in the States. Uh, In her left hand, she's holding scales, a balance, something that's used to measure things against a standard It stands and it resembles, it symbolizes a standard of truth, a measurement of truth. Almost always in her left hand, not always, but almost always in her left hand. In her right hand is a sword. It stands for power, for authority. The sword is always unsheathed with Lady Justice. Justice stands readily enforced and will be defended at all costs. In the 16th century, they added a blindfold to Lady Justice's eyes. That has not been the case throughout the centuries. Uh, people used to think that it, was, it meant that she was blind to injustice, only operated from a, a perspective and a perfect understanding of justice. But later historians have agreed that it has more to do with impartiality than anything else. I want to read a couple of verses out of Proverbs that talk about this. Proverbs 11 verse one, "A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight." Proverbs 16 verse 11: "A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work." Proverbs chapter eight is a, is a very key chapter to the book of Proverbs. It's a, it's a personification of wisdom. Wisdom is actually personified as a lady in the book of Proverbs. And lady wisdom has. Justice as one of her characteristics, key aspects of who she is. Proverbs 8 verse 15 says this, By me, kings reign, by wisdom, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Justice has been a major theme in the book of Habakkuk. Again, I haven't covered it like I wanted to, so I wanted to take an opportunity to do this. If you look down at chapter 1, scroll down to verse 4 in your text, Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 4. Habakkuk, remember, he's the prophet that questioned God. And he looked around in his land of Israel, and he saw so much injustice that was being done, he just couldn't understand why God wouldn't do something about it for his sake and for the nation of Israel's sake. In chapter 1, verse 4, Habakkuk cries out, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth forth perverted. Later on in chapter 1, skip down to verse 13, Habakkuk questioned God's use of the Babylonians. So first answer to the question, listen, listen, Justice is coming from God, and, and you will experience justice in Israel. You're going to experience it through the disciplinary hand of the Babylonians in Nebuchadnezzar. The second question from Habakkuk was, how is it just that you're going to use this evil, wicked nation against us to take us away into oppression and slavery? It doesn't seem just at all. So chapter 1, verse 13 you who are of pure eyes than to see evil, Habakkuk says to God, you cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked, wicked swallows up the man who is more righteous than he? What do we mean when we talk about the justice of God? What is biblical justice? How do we know it when we see it? in our world, in our culture, and even in Scripture. And unless you've been living under a rock for the last several years, you know that this is a pretty hot topic item in culture and society today. Cries of injustice are everywhere. It's rampant in our day. And so here's what I want to do. I want <clears throat> to begin with a game. Let's just, let's just call this Who Said It? All right? I'm going to give you a few quotes. You tell me who you think this is from, all right? Here's the one, first one. At his best, man is the noblest of all animals, separated from law and justice, he is the worst. Any takers? Don't Google it. (laughs) Forrest, I saw you reaching for that phone over there. Man. Anybody know who said this? Emerson? Jefferson. Jefferson? Not Jefferson, further back. This is one of the ancient uh, Greek philosophers, Aristotle, said this. And if you really want to understand justice, and especially the political ramifications of justice in a nation, a civilization, you read, need to read Plato's Republic. It's probably one of the, um, the most central themes of that book. It talks about how governments ebb and flow and cycle around, and we're caught right in the middle of one of them right now. Um, Aristotle means is that the best of mankind are those who do justice, but those who are unjust are worse than the worst kind of animal in God's creation. And I think he's spot on. Uh, Here's a loaded example. If you guys can figure this one out, people don't realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust. People aren't being held accountable for. I think he needs to be held accountable for ending a sentence with a preposition but we'll just overlook that and that's something that needs to change and at the beginning of a sentence also needs to uh, that's something that this country stands for, freedom, liberty and justice for all. Any takers on this one? A little bit closer to our time here Somebody, somebody I think almost said it You guys know this guy? Right there here you go. What what is going on in this country, and are those cries? How are they being experienced by people? It's another one for you. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Doctor Martin Luther King Jr. They're really good. It's a really good statement. Um, If injustice is allowed to continue, it will uh, permeate into different people groups, into different areas where it hasn't before. So injustice needs to be dealt with so it doesn't spread like a cancer. That's what he's saying. Uh, I love this one, it's probably one of my favorite ones for as we close up here. I've always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. Any takers on that one? The Redeemer President. Sorry about this, Phil. Abraham Lincoln was the uh, proponent of this one. Y'all know this verse in James chapter two, verse fourteen. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is always, always better. Number one, as we look at justice in the Bible this morning and summarize Habakkuk, biblical justice, I hate that I have to say this. Uh, I think it's so silly, but I will. Words matter. Words matter. For culture, for civilizations, for people to live in a just society. Words absolutely matter. Remember the Princess Bride? Uh, There's this Sicilian Vizzini. Remember what he was always saying? Inconceivable! Remember what Ignito Ignito Montoya finally says to him? You keep saying that word, and I don't think it means what you think it means. Justice in biblical justice is one of those things that if you use this word in our culture, there are people that are using it who think it means what it does not mean. There's no question, especially as you approach Scripture on this topic of justice. The things and the ways that it's being thrown out in our culture are just not true, at least, at the very least, to the biblical text, and I think even deeper than that. Our culture is rapidly rapidly changing. It's, everybody knows that culture changes. Some of that is not all that bad. The uh, shocking element of our day is, is how quickly it's been changing. So Scott Allen has this thought in uh, one of his books on biblical justice. He says, all cultural change begins with language change. All changes in a culture begin with changes in language. Changes in language, new words, new definitions, can usually be traced to powerful thought leaders who may have lived hundreds of years before. When you study them in their context, Sigmund Freud is a great example of this. The sexual revolution that we are experiencing in our day today was, he was the primary proponent of that about 150 years ago. We see this trend with postmodernism, uh, one indelible mark, of postmodernism is loss of meaning, loss of truth, and really loss of words. Language no longer bears meaning like it used to. George Orwell, have you guys read 1984, this novel? He's got an interesting dialogue between two of his characters in that book. One is, uh, has been given the responsibility to compile a new dictionary called Newspeak. And here's what he says, very deceptive, Um, cunning remark in this book, very revealing as we experience culture change today. This character says, we're getting the language into its final shape, the shape it's going to have when nobody speaks anything else. We're destroying words, scores of them, hundreds of them, every day. We're cutting the language down to the bone. There are hundreds of nouns, he says, that can be got rid of, I think is a Ironic way to end that statement. So, the Gospel of John opens with this very clear, concise, crystal, deep statement. Remember what it says, John 1:1? In the beginning was the Word, right? And for believers, for Christians, we can read that short statement and we can see meaning, loads of meaning, depth of meaning in that rich sentence. In the beginning was the word. It's a very profound statement. It's packed with meaning in more ways than one. We can understand what that verse actually means. But to the postmodern, in the beginning was the word, means nothing. It means something else needs to be deconstructed. What was was really behind the author, John, when he wrote this? What was going on in his life? We live in a time when definitions don't mean anything. There is no truth anymore. Why am I saying this? Number one: if you lose the language, you lose the logic. You can't have logic if you don't have language. And we're living in a culture and society now that doesn't care about the language, therefore they're not going to care about the logic. It's already gone. If you want to put a complete thought together, you must have a sentence. If you want to see a sentence in its uh, contextual understanding, the things that contribute to it, you would look at the paragraph unit, but the very essential ingredient of subject predicate. Nouns, adverbs are words and words have meaning. There's no way that you can express anything as a complete thought if those words don't have meaning. In our culture, paragraphs, sentences, and words cannot be taken at face value. Again, all they need to do is be deconstructed and that's it. One man has said this, It's no good having the same vocabulary if we're using different dictionaries. Words matter. So let's define some words. Let's define justice, for instance, as we see it in scripture. First, the root word for justice is just. In the English, of course, pretty simple. The Latin term for just means straight or close. That which is just measures up to a standard. It could be uh, put next to something that it is measured against. If it's just, it's in line with the standard. If it's not just, it's out of plumb. It's not gonna measure up. Justice is alignment to a certain standard. In all of human history, that standard has been good for all of human history. We've been able to take an understanding of what is good, and people consciously recognize that there is good and there is bad. Guess what? Nobody realizes that anymore. The word good is being deconstructed. And so there is no more standard. There is no more word of justice that even means anything. In fact, goodness, righteousness, and justice, biblically, we would say that these are synonyms. They're antonyms would be injustice, wickedness, or evil. Old Testament Hebrew has two interchangeable words for justice and righteousness. It's, uh, they're pronounced mishpat and tzedakah. i have got a slide in just a, just a second here. They're interchangeable. When you see righteous or just, a lot of times they occur next to each other in parallel fashion because they're synonyms. They're saying the exact same things. Proverbs eight twenty is a great example. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. Oftentimes, especially in the Psalms, you'll see that at the foundation of the throne of the Lord is justice and righteousness. They are the foundation of who God is. Mishpat is the first Old Testament word I want to talk about just a little bit. It's usually translated judge, just, or justice. And it has to do with order in life and the means to bring about that order. Mishpat is by far the word that's used the most in the Old Testament to describe justice, what we would consider as just. The other word is sedek. Sedekah like would be the noun form. It's the word that's often translated as right or righteous or righteousness. And it has to do with what is right in any given situation, A situation that is uh, probably most probable understood by the context in which it's given. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 4, you remember this verse that we read? Look back there again. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. That's mishpat. We would say that the order in the nation of Israel is, is not there. It's gone. The second reference to justice, so justice goes forth perverted. At the end of verse 4, again, that's the Hebrew word mishpat. Of all nations, God should be judge. He should be putting together an orderly society for his people to live in peacefully and in harmony. But apparently the judge is still in his chamber because all this injustice is happening in the nation of Israel. Notice in the very same verse, Habakkuk talks about the law in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. Folks, this is true not only biblically, but legally in the secular world as well. Justice is equated with lawfulness. Therefore, abiding by the law is just. Lawlessness or breaking the law is unjust. the trouble is sometimes when unjust people are establishing the laws, what do, you do, what do you do then? What's the right stance for a Christian? If you were living in Russia right now and you were giving refuge to a Ukrainian, what would likely happen to you? By law, that's probably frowned upon pretty highly. If you were living in Nazi Germany and you gave refuge to a Jew, during the Holocaust. The law said you're supposed to do something. You're supposed to turn them into the authorities right away. If you're gonna disobey that law, here you are as a lawless individual. Are you being just in that situation or is that an act of injustice? Dr. Martin Luther King was asked the very same question. He was arrested in 1963, sent to a Birmingham jail for violating Uh, court order, that he should no longer be protesting on racial injustice, where he was in Birmingham. Many Christians even criticized him, said, how can you, how can your ministry be marked by lawlessness, or refusing to obey the court order? He wrote something in Letters to a Birmingham Jail. I read it every year. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a good practice to get into. He's a studied, studied writer. He had his issues just like everybody else did. He's not God, he's not perfect. Here's what he wrote. One may ask, how can you advocate for breaking some laws and disobeying others? The answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law and therefore out of harmony with God and what he has established as just. A great civil rights leader believed that a higher law exists. He called it a moral law. You and I would refer to it as the law of God. Romans says the same thing. Uh, when the Gentiles who don't have the law, find themselves breaking the law, their conscience bears witness against them, It's because the law of God is written on their hearts. They know good and bad, evil and good, wickedness and the difference between those two things. Everybody knows that, as much as people don't want to believe it. So, Scott Allen says again here, So justice is conformity with God's higher law. Justice is conformity with God's higher law. And in this respect, justice is the same as truth. It requires a fixed point of reference that exists apart from man-made laws and our beliefs about what is good and right, a standard to which even the most powerful are accountable. Justice in the Bible is first and foremost a relational term. You don't talk about justice in abstract concepts. You talk about it relationally with people, society, and how we live together with one another. Metzger said that biblical justice involves making individuals, communities, and the cosmos as a whole by upholding both goodness and impartiality. Biblical justice involves making individuals, communities, and the cosmos whole by upholding both goodness and impartiality. That's what justice is, biblically speaking. That's what justice is, and words do have meaning. The second question is is just as important. What does justice do? What does justice do in the Bible? I love... uh, some of the verses that we have, especially in Micah when we talk about doing justice, so I'll highlight that in just a second. Uh, Before that, just just a silly illustration. I love, uh, just like Dustin's testimony you just heard, he's a uh, coach, who loves coaching sports in the same way. And some kids are a little harder to coach than others. You guys realize that if you're a parent or a teacher or, or a coach yourself. I got one kid that I was coaching this last year And it didn't matter what I was doing, what I was saying, uh, how I was approaching the team. No matter what I said, he had to say something back to me. If I said, hey, go do this, here's what you're doing wrong, there was always something that came out of his mouth. And I didn't really want him to speak back to me at certain times. I was interested in listening to what he had to say, of course. But uh, my refrain to him over and over again, and even this summer, we've done doing some summer basketball camps. I say to him, I say, listen, man, I need less words and more doing, less talking and more doing. Justice is one of these ideas. It's it's an action word. Justice has legs on it. It's a word that requires action. So the question is, what does justice do? And the answer is that justice slows the spread of evil by establishing and upholding what is good. Justice will slow the spread of evil by establishing and upholding what is good. And this gets to mishpat more than it does tzedakah but they're both very related. Doing justice means living in right relationship with others, a right relationship to God, and a right relationship with other people who are created as his image bearers in the image of God. And so Micah 6:8 is the famous Micah mandate Teddy Roosevelt he has told you o oh man what is good and what does the lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, Habakkuk had a really hard time with what he was perceiving about God's justice, maybe even injustice. How can you use these wicked Babylonian people to discipline us, to overcome us, to treat us unfairfully, to kill us, to take us as slaves? Well, let me rephrase that question. Is God arbitrarily or capriciously acting apart from his just character as we see it unfold in the book of Habakkuk? Is God always just? Is he always fair? If justice means treating others fairly in conformity to God's higher law and moral standard, was Israel doing justice? What did they deserve? as objects of God's justice, or participants in it. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Isaiah is very much a contemporary with Habakkuk, he wrote at the time just before Babylonian captivity. Isaiah chapter 1, 21 through 23, how the faithful city this is, Jerusalem, has become a prostitute, she who is full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. Israel was guilty. Justice demands that Israel pay the price of the crimes that they commit. You've, you've heard this, crime doesn't pay, Right? Justice demands that the costs of a crime are paid. They have to be if justice is going to be served. God has established a perfect standard of justice, and he will operate by that standard. The question, has everyone, anyone had to teach you how to act unjustly in this world, or did you just figure it out on your own? Most of us don't need a lesson. On that one, we learn it really early and really well. Do you discover an ironic double standard when it comes to justice? I think it's an incredible act of injustice to tell a four-year-old they're not a male or a female based on their biology. Other people are gonna say it's an incredible act of injustice to tell them they are a male or a female based on their biology. One man has said, uh, justice is the handmaiden of truth. When truth dies, justice is buried with it. Justice is the handmaiden of truth. When truth dies, justice is buried with it. Because of sin, we all want to be our own standard of truth, don't we? We all want to create the standard, we all want to be the standard. And it always shifts. It ebbs and flows based on our needs, based on our wants, the things that we're dealing with. I'm going to tell you why I'm not jumping on the bandwagon of of the social justice that you hear about in the media and propaganda today. Um, And that reason is because of a man who originally said that there's a line of good and evil that runs right down the middle of every human heart. He knew that inside of us, if you looked at any of our hearts, you would see a whole lot of injustice that was there. Every act of sin is an act of injustice. Injustice against a perfect judge and a perfect God. We all violate that on a daily, if not weekly, basis. Another person has said, that the evil in the world is not all out there, it's all in here. A lot of our anthropology, our, our theology of what we believe about man will be drastically changed if we understand a, a stronger, more biblical theology of the heart. There was a king in the first century who walked the planet Earth who said the very same thing, just in a different way. He said something like this, it's not what out, what's outside the body that defiles a person, but it's what's inside that makes him a sinner, covetous, murderer, prideful. We have an apostle that wrote to us in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reason why I'm not picking up the mantle of, of some of the cries that you're hearing in the media today is because of a refusal to look at the intractable sinfulness of the human heart that exists in every person apart from God and still has ramifications even after we're redeemed. You and I will find ourselves committing acts of evil in our lifetime. All of us. And all of us need grace and forgiveness through that. If a system could be created that would end oppression without using oppression, (laughs) man, I'd be the first one to sign up for that one. The history of the world tells me that that's not going to happen until... King returns and sets up a perfect kingdom forever. Some people look at Habakkuk and they read it. They look at the story of the nations and they ask questions How can God be just and do this to his own people, Israel, to the nation of Israel? I look at the book of Habakkuk and I ask this question How could God have waited so long to do something? Some people look out at the world and they see all kinds of Injustices happening everywhere? How can God exist and allow these injustices to continue? And I look out at the world and I say, how does God patiently endure sinners and rebellion against him for such a long time? I see a need for justice. I also see a need for grace and forgiveness and mercy because of the line of evil that runs right through my heart. starts with me and talk about justice it starts with you it starts with the person of god who he is and what he demands doing justice is not optional as a christian it's a responsibility doing justice is not optional for christians it's not optional for us at tbc it's a responsibility It requires that we live in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people we can describe as as just relationships. The problem, of course, is that none of us live in a right relationship with God when we come into this world. None of us foster that right relationship when we sin and make sinful choices. None of us treat people who are created in the image of God the way that we should be treating them all the time, every time no matter what. We inherently create wrong with those who are in authority over us. We often operate from our own self-interest rather than the interest of other people. Doing justice requires a right relationship, and all of us have a wrong relationship, which is why we desperately need Jesus, his forgiveness on our behalf. We need somebody who is just to sacrifice himself for the unjust, for the wicked and for the evil. Proverbs 29, verse 7, reminds us the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no concern. We have a responsibility to do justice as Christians. It is not optional. Number two, justice requires truth. Justice requires truth. There must be a standard for justice to be measured. Without a standard, there can be no justice. Without words, there can be no truth. Without truth, there can be no justice. There's a lot of oxymorons and impossibilities and um, very confused people crying for justice without a standard to measure that justice against in our culture. It will constantly be shifting. I'm all for justice warriors as long as they are truth warriors. If there is no truth warrior, I'm afraid all of our culture, all it has done is establish just one more system of oppression. Without truth, I'm afraid all all our culture has done is just establish one more system of oppression. Only this one sees absolutely no need for God, and that's a troubling place to be. Number three, how does God deal with injustice and evil in the world? I don't know. how does he deal with your injustice? Casey, how's he dealt with your injustice? Okay, so the first step is we need somebody to substitute for our injustice and wickedness. We need somebody who can make right what has gone wrong with us and with our hearts. And the first thing he does is he sends His Son, Jesus, who is perfectly just, to die on the cross for us. That we might experience the forgiveness, the reconciliation, the redemption, a perfect relationship with God, because it's all, justice is a relational term, remember? How does God deal with injustice in the world? How has He dealt with me? How has He dealt with you? How has He dealt with sinners, who still have another chance to repent and turn to God? How much longer are you gonna rely on the patience of God? There is no time, Turn to him now. Turn to God now in repentance and faith and experience his justice as an act of forgiveness. Second way he's gonna deal with it is he's gonna come back. He's gonna annihilate all injustice, all evil and all wickedness forever and he's gonna set up a perfect kingdom. It's not gonna be a democracy, we're not gonna vote. On the pastors in this kingdom. It's gonna be a theocracy. God is gonna reign personally from his throne in Jerusalem on this earth forever and ever in a kingdom that is established with righteousness and justice. And until that day comes, injustice is going to happen. We're going to experience it. And so we say, Lord, haste the day of your return when our faith will be sight. Haste the day when sin and death will be no more. Satan will be annihilated forever. God, please turn the page of this sinful human history into what you've created it to be in the first place, a perfect world of righteousness, justice, and shalom and peace with God. That can only be established through his son Jesus, who first came to forgive the unjust and the injustices, and then he returns to set it up forever and ever. This is the gospel in Habakkuk. This is the one that Habakkuk cried out for at his time. This is the one that everything points to. When you experience the injustices of this world, get in line. We all experience them. It's a fallen world that we live in, and sometimes it's really, really tough. But don't forget to look in the mirror. All of us have committed egregious crimes of injustice against a perfect and holy God. And yet, in Christ, he loved us so much. He sent Jesus to forgive us of those sins and to have a right relationship with him. If you haven't heard this story about the justice of God, I want you to come up and please talk to somebody after the service. Our elders will be up here. We would love to meet with you. And, uh, and discuss the truth, the gospel, with you. Let's pray. And uh, this, is, this is it for Habakkuk for a little while, except for some cross references from time to time, and Forrest pulling out his cell phone to check on quotes and texts. Father in heaven, um, we thank you that Thank you that you have a plan for the nations. Thank you that um, your justice is perfect, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. We thank you that mercy has triumphed over justice because in all of our stories, that is in fact good news, and we are forever grateful for it. We thank you that we cannot understand your justice apart from your mercy and grace and your love to us. As we grow in that love and as we see that you have given us what we don't deserve, in your mercy and in your compassion for us, help us to look, to help, to reach out to those who are victims of oppression and injustices. Lord, help us to serve, help us to see justice as a responsibility not just an option. Help us to be a church that, that serves, ministers well to those who've been caught up in the injustices of a sinful, fallen world. Help us to keep our eyes toward the poor and the needy, the insignificant, the marginalized, the orphan and the widow, to care for them. Because in your grace, you cared for us. Father, thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for all of our dads, granddads, great-granddads that are here this morning. I pray a special blessing on them this weekend. Give them some rest for the rest of the day here. And just encourage them in their responsibility and their walk with you. Help them to lead courageously. Reject passivity. um, To be active in their responsibilities towards you. And to be the men that you have created us to be. Uh, Give us success and help us to walk in a way that pleases you, according to the truth of the gospel. And we ask all these things to you, Father, through the Son and by the Spirit. For you three are the one true God, and there is no God besides you. Amen, amen.